From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. I don't have to tell you, a lot of people have a problem with the word conspiracy. In fact, there are people who are nervous about coming on this radio program simply because of the name. But let me tell you something. I I don't apologize for the name or the word conspiracy. And of course, those with you with ears to hear already know the term conspiracy theory was created by the CIA in the wake of the brutal murder of JFK in order to, to discredit anyone who was in opposition to the Warren Commission whitewash. And so this term conspiracy theory now, uh, used by the mainstream media in particular, as a way of stifling free and healthy discourse, and uh, used as a bludgeon to discredit anyone who again stands in opposition to orthodoxy. It's also, of course, conspiracy, that is, a legitimate concept in law, the collusion of two or more people pursuing a legal means to affect some illegal or immoral end. Conspiracies are a matter of public record. Enough said. So I'm here with your help to take the word back. Uh, in fact, if we're quacks and nutters for believing that there really is present in this world some elite cabal backstage pulling the strings in this grand puppet show, then the great Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli was a nutter and a quack. Remember, it was Disraeli who said governments do not govern, but merely control the machinery of government being themselves controlled by the hidden hand. The hidden hand. We're going to talk about the hidden hand tonight. The hidden hand, for example, that controls the UFO ET issue. This hidden hand, perhaps, a group of individuals, some call them Majestic Twelve, who were given enormous power and influence by the president at some point after Roswell, to co-opt the mainstream media and other organizations to participate in a cover-up of the ET presence, to recover alien technology from UFO crash sites and funnel that technology into the private sector, the military-industrial complex, where it would be re-engineered and reproduced, advanced uh, advanced propulsion and weapon systems, free energy, much, much more. Some of this technology may have been given willingly to elite groups or people inside the U.S. and elsewhere in exchange for something. Maybe that something was the right for certain alien species to abduct humans, experiment on them, perhaps even enroll humans unwittingly in some perverse alien-human hybridization program. These are just a few of the UFO ET-related issues that are explored in a groundbreaking new film called The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact and the Government Cover-Up. And the filmmaker of The Hidden Hand, James Carmen joins me in a few moments, but first, let me welcome once again to the studio my colleague Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zeland News Network, who's going to join in the conversation tonight and take some of the load off of me as I recover from a rather nasty bout of pneumonia. Victor Vigiani in studio, how are you, my old friend? Just fine, good to have you. For the next hour, we're going to uh, be speaking with quite a remarkable filmmaker. Uh, James Carmen works as a producer in New York City, He's investigated the paranormal all his life. His work has been showcased at the MOMA and many film festivals all over the world. 
He recently won an EBE award and four other awards. That's five, five pieces of hardware for this documentary that we're discussing tonight, The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact and the Government Cover-Up. Currently, he's working on a new film titled Superconscious, and, and time permitting, we can touch on that as well. James Carmen, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Oh, thanks for having me. And again, uh, congratulations on uh, The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact and the Government Cover-Up. Uh, one of the things that struck me uh, almost immediately was, uh, thank God uh, that you were able, uh, you know, to get Dr. Roger Lear, who we just lost, and of course Bud Hopkins, who we lost uh, a while ago as well, mm-hmm. uh, on film, uh, because you know we can now put this sort of in a time capsule, uh, this documentary, uh, because you really gathered together all. The essential people. I mean, all the ingredients here are here. Everyone from, of course, uh, Richard Dolan to, as I say, Dr. Dr. Roger Lear, Bud Hopkins. They're all in here. Anyone and anyone in the UFO disclosure movement is in the hidden hand. Was that uh, um, a challenge, sort of, you know, rounding everybody up? And, and, and it was. I mean, it was something where you just have to be patient. You know, it took me a while to get Whitley Strieber and. Um, you know, Bud was ill, so I had to wait till he felt better, and I just kind of plodded along and did it. You know, David Ike, I wasn't even sure I could um, interview him, but I just flew to where he was, and then I called him, and I just asked him, said, hey, you know, can I interview you? And he said, okay. And so that was pretty easy, and, and he was very, uh, very eloquent. Now, I mean, I have a very limited experience in putting together documentaries. My TV show is sort of a documentary style, but I mean, I go in there, we go in there, it's a half hour with a, you know, a, a pretty clear idea. But I know when often when you, when you're making documentaries, you don't know necessarily what the film is going to be about when you go into it. It sort of revo- reveals itself. Um, was that the case with a hidden hand? Did you, I mean, did you set out to make such a comprehensive film that was going to cover everything from, you know, soup to nuts in, the, in terms of the UFO issue? Not really. The thing is, is I started making a totally different film. Um, are you familiar with Al Bielik? Yes, of course. Well, he was the Philadelphia experiment. Good, yeah, he was a very good friend of mine, and um, so I started making kind of almost like a narrative style film with him and a, an abductee called. Gloria Hawker, where people would talk about these subjects, but it was more like two people just hanging out, talking, giving, having a conversation. And, um, you know, I, when I would show rough cuts of that film, it, it was too hard for people to understand what was real and what wasn't, you know, because I was playing kind of with um, different film genres in a way, like the narrative and the documentary. And so I, I was seeing that it wasn't working. So I just decided to do as straight a documentary as I could um, on the subject when I figured out it wasn't working what I did initially. You know. Right. Let me throw it over to my uh, my colleague here, Victor Vigiani. How are you doing, James? Hey, Victor. How's it going? <laughs> just fine. Uh, in, in watching this thing, I've watched it now uh, about three times, and every time I watch it, something else creeps out. It doesn't matter exactly what uh, what button you push or where you where you join the whole narrative, as you say. Something uh, eloquent comes out, and something very stirring comes out. I- I'd like to ask you, what, um, and you and I have talked a couple of times about this, uh, what really um, convinced you to say yes to doing this? What, what, what said, yeah, I've got to do this? There's always some sort of internal uh, compulsion to do it. What was it that, that uh, turned, your, turned your crank on this one? Well, it's a couple of things. I'd, I'd... 
I had been living in Europe for quite a while, and I came back and I did, shot a film in L.A., and it was like, it was an underground film, but I thought, my God, America's changed. This is like bizarre, you know, and I just, I kind of didn't really realize I was in this subculture. Mm-hmm. And then I get, when moved back to Berlin, and then I came back to America, and I, I was producing um, healing DVDs, and uh, a lot of the people that were there, I noticed there was a group of women who kind of would grab, gather around each other at the breaks, and they would be crying, and they would be distraught, and they would be talking about losing pregnancies, and they were talking about hybrid babies, and um, I could see that this was something very real to them and something that was um, very traumatic. And, uh, you know, at first I just dismissed it because it was too bizarre, too mm. weird. And then I started meeting other people that said they were involved in kind of like secret projects or had been trained in secret pro- projects and stuff like that. And, and you know, the thing that's about the, the whole hybridization program, I mean, it, it's such a visceral thing. It's kind of like, we, we you know, we're, we're so, um, in, in a way, we have so much innate love for our own species, I think. I mean, at least I do. And then the kind of the idea that we don't have sovereignty or maybe our sovereignty is being usurped and also our genetic teleology, so today, our, our genetic evolution is being hijacked. Um, that was such a visceral feeling for me. That kind of gave me the impetus then to make the film. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, in, in watching it, there is a... Uh, in, in essence, there's a basic simplicity to the whole, to the whole, uh, I guess, the whole film, the whole documentary. But there also was this this juxtaposition, almost like a crash, like of cultural madness of what on earth is this all about versus the the substantive data that you put together. Um, how did you how did you reconcile that? You, you've got this kind of really weird, um, in terms of the hybrid and all that, kind of, and you've got UFO data. How did you decide to meld it all together into into basically simple evidentiary evidence of a very, very complex uh, matter? Well, it was hard because I didn't, you know, you know, I remember like when I was with my editor and we were talking about different types of extraterrestrials and when we when we were mentioning that there are insectoid kind of ETs and people say that they look like praying mantis, I mean, she was just beside herself you know she was just thinking there's no way that anyone could look at this and and take it seriously and um i just i just said well look at this is what's being reported and you know i I would then i looked at myself kind of as a journalist and, and to go out there and seeing what different groups different camps are reporting what their interests are and i would just put it out there and without you know, being having fear that mm-hmm. it, it might look too ridiculous or might be too too harshly criticized, or even become more and more bizarre as things went along and people just could not accept it. Yeah. yeah. Well, where are you? Know, you? Like, like, I, like I had a, a you know a very very big producer look at it, and you know he's you know, he was head of the producers guild and 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 um, you know where, when, when it came to the part um, where Whitley Straber was talking about it an anal probe where he was taken, he just stopped the movie and he said, I can't look at this. I just can't take this seriously. You know, but then he looked up anal probe on the Internet and he saw that there were like millions of entries for it. You know, so it was obviously something that was either going on or there was a lot of interest in it or, but he still couldn't, in his mind, he couldn't go further than that because he just, it was kind of 
beyond the realm of, of what he could consider as rational. James, what about for you personally? I mean, did you, I, I guess I gather from what you're saying, you went into this sort of as a dispassionate observer, maybe uh, employing certain journalistic um, uh, techniques and so forth. But where are you now after hearing, you know, Whitley Strieber talk about essentially being raped by aliens or hearing, uh, you know, these women describing having their alien hybrid babies taken from them? Uh, where are you now? I mean, uh, are you a believer? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely a believer. And, and the thing is, is I, w- I don't think I was ever dispassionate um, I, because I, I had a lot of compassion for the people I interviewed. I should have used so the word disinterested, as in, as in unbiased, is what I meant to right. say. Right. Um, um, yeah, because w- when, you, when you interview these people, you see they're, they're being truthful and you see that they've gone through something, and, um, and it really affects them. I, I remember this one woman who's in my film. Her name is Joni Stroher, and... Um, you know she's she's quite interesting. She's had all kinds of abductions and um, um, quite traumatic. But I interviewed her grandmother, who was 86 years old at the time, um, Puerto Rican. She worked as a missionary in Nicaragua and um, Haiti all of her life. But she'd been having these experiences all of her life, and this was the first time she ever could speak about it. And she, you can't imagine how she cried and what it was a relief it was for her. And, um, you know, just shortly after that, she died. Oh so in a way, I feel, I feel blessed that, I, you know, I could at least provide that kind of a um, catalyst for her that, you know, some healing could take place. Right. And I'm sure, you know, uh, many people who have seen the film, who have had an experience, uh, you know, sort of achieved the same sort of cathartic moment thanks to your, your film. Listen, we'll take a time out. James Carmen is here. The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact, and the Government Cover-Up, and our good friend Victor Vigiani in studio with The Conspiracy Show back after this. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. There is an overwhelming abundance of evidence in terms of documentation showing that there has been an unexplained phenomenon interacting with the militaries of this world for a very long time. That this phenomenon has been taken seriously by the highest level national security people, and that they've enveloped the topic in secrecy. Um, they've misrepresented it to the public time and again. It's obvious that there's something important happening here with technology that, frankly, is not supposed to exist. We are back uh, speaking with filmmaker James Carmen, and the documentary is The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact and the Government Cover-Up. And it, uh, as I say, it covers the, the UFO ET issue from uh, soup to nuts, uh, everything from just sort of the hard evidence uh, of UFO sightings all the way to the, uh, the alien agenda, I guess, if you will, uh, alien abductions. Um, uh, we, he also covers, uh, you know, experimentation. And uh, uh, it's just, it's very compelling and uh, very succinct and comprehensive and uh, a really a wonderful sort of document that could be placed in a in a time capsule uh, because some of the people in this film are no longer with us Dr. Roger Lear, Bud Hopkins and and others Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is in studio I'll throw it back over to you Victor I just wanted to uh, Richard alluded to it uh, earlier regarding you know Bud and uh, and, and Dr. Roger Lear uh, both having passed away um, 
and it seems like you, <laughs> you know, synchronicity, call it, what you, call it what you want, you were in the right place at the right time on virtually every set of circumstances. I, I, re- I recall uh, Richard Dolan telling me about uh, your encounter uh, or your attempt to encounter Dr. Uh, uh, Edgar Mitchell and, and trying to connect with him. And things all just fell into place, didn't they? They did. You know, sometimes I had to be a little bit patient, and um, but it did. It all fell into place, and um, I'm I'm very happy about that. And uh, I, you know, the film took a lot longer to make than I thought, but um, you know, I, sometimes you just have to to stay with it until you think it's right, and then you can let it go. You you also talk about exploring the terrain. Uh, uh, of the of this whole situation, and as you look at it from a, if you stand back and look at what you did, uh, what's what's the one thing? I know it's difficult to pick that out because you spent so many hours and days and months putting this all together. Is there one sort of uh, taller edifice that stands out in your mind in what you did to say to people, journalists, be it whoever who watched this, this is this is what I wanted to show them. Is there one thing or two things that you really are, are kind of seminal situations for you? Well, I think you know. Just generally, I think a lot of times we really think we understand reality and we know what's going on. And a lot, the more educated you are, the more people tend to have think that they've got it figured out. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, we don't have anything figured out. I mean, really, I mean, when we look at this reality that we see in front of us, it's a, it's a minuscule amount of what's actually out there that we know about. When we talk about physics and string theory, we postulate that there has to be more dimensions than we're actually perceiving and it's interacting with ours all the time and if we're not perceiving it then that doesn't mean it's not there and so i think basically what i wanted to do with this film is just to kind of engender open-mindedness about this subject that you know perhaps it is really going on and there's a lot more going on obviously it's very complex there's many different sides to it um but uh it's more like if you the the illusion of knowledge it, it impinges you more than than if you just come to the subject with an open mind and then you know see what what you feel once you've seen some of the facts some of the the um, some of the witnesses with their testimony. Yeah, I, I, it really kind of uh, never ceases to amaze me that when you start getting into all of this, uh, the, the one thing that comes out is uh, the inadequacy of the human species when compared to the uh, extremely compelling and, and mountain of evidence that's that, that's out there. And I guess that leads me to the question of, I guess uh, we'll get into the politics of it a little bit later on if you want, but this whole idea of of uh, you know, putting together this kind of tome that you did, and 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 realizing that once you are um, once you've assembled it all, you're going to meet uh, a huge amount of resistance in the public, be it through public officials, just the general public in in, in, gen- in general. Um, I don't want to talk necessarily about the resistance, but how do you account for the resistance? What, what's 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 propelling this whole idea that automatically, once you hear the kind of information that you're putting forward, it's it's almost a, a human instinct to dismiss it. How do you account for that? Well, I think people call it cognitive dissonance, and it's when something comes across your worldview that doesn't fit into it, you just kind of for a minute you get a little bit disconcerted and confused and then you just forget about it and it's not there anymore you know and i think we see this all the time if you look at 
um, archaeology. You know, there's so many different artifacts. There's so many things that don't fit into the classic model, and it's just dismissed. It, it doesn't fit in, so it's not even allowed. And, um, you know, we have, you know, metal balls that are 2 million years old that have been found in South Africa. That has no correlation at all to our theories of the evolution of man in, in human culture and civilization. So it's discredited, discarded. And so I think people do that all the time. And, and I'm, I'm amazed that, you know, I have some very credible people in the film, and I'll show it to, you know, a friend of mine. They'll come and they'll see, you know, Paul Hellyer, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, you know, very credible people, and they'll just dismiss it right out of hand, regardless of who they are, it's because it's just craziness, because they can't accept it. I think it's self-preservation, yeah. mm -hmm. in part. Yeah. Yep. I mean, no one wants to have their entire reality disassembled before them, you know, right before their eyes. Yeah, that's right. pretty hard to take. That's right. Yeah, uh, I'm. I want to talk to you a little bit about the the uh, the alien agenda, which is a huge topic. Um, but Hollywood seems to spend so much time, um, whether it's intended or not, is it confusing the masses in terms of what you know the alien agenda is, and are they wearing, are they you know coming to our rescue? Uh, to save us from environmental degradation and 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 so forth, or are they are they here to uh, you know to uh, dissect us and examine us like you know so many uh, lab mice? Uh, are you any closer after after hearing these riveting testimonies, uh, connecting the dots and determining what the alien agenda is? I don't know if I'm closer. I think if you look at it in terms of um not good or bad, like species-specific, that, you know, clearly everyone would be operating in their own interest, but then you have, what I say, service to self and to service to others, and, and it seems like there are some ETs that have that idea of service to others, and then others that are just, you know, doing what's best for them in, in terms of a species, much like we as humans do most of the time, you know, we're not really, most of the time we're not if it's not your family, we're not that terribly concerned with other people, or if it's not in your country or whatever. If it's not in your species, we're not terribly concerned with the cows that we slaughter or the pigs that we slaughter or the fish, you know, and all the, 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 the lions and tigers that are becoming extinct. So um, it's kind of, in a way, I, I think of it as an ignorance. And um, I think, you know, some of the ETs, they, they, they would have that ignorance in, in not – being concerned about others, and, and other, some of them do, and I think that there has been some intervention, you know, to, to I, would, I would say to save us from destroying ourselves, not to save us from our, our fate as it may be developing, but um, it seems like there is a lot of interest in our um, atomic weapons, and um, there has been some indication that perhaps we have been saved from from blowing ourselves up and and how about uh in terms of the nature of the government cover-up are you any closer or have you connected any dots uh in terms of uh perhaps you know how deep the uh the cover-up goes and and why why are they are they keeping a lid on this well i think you could look at it from many different levels. Obviously, there's the, the technology exchange and the reverse engineering of technology and, and wanting to hoard that 
so you have more power and more of a um, advantage over other groups, other nations perhaps. But on the other hand, if it, I think if you look at human history, you know, it looks like we have been created and we've had this interaction for a long time with ET. And so, you know, I don't think that they ever kind of just totally let us go as the experiment and, and let us run wild. So I think in the background there's always been some kind of monitoring, some kind of control. And um, it's for for most people it's it's totally hidden from sight and, and um but I, it's just a feeling I have that there is still some control and manipulation going on. And, of course, you know, being a, like a, a normal middle-class person, you don't always have access to where those, um, those scenes where the human and ET are meeting might be. But um, it's just my feeling that that's happening. With, with so many of the, the, the differences of opinion on, as Richard was alluding to earlier, regarding to whether this is invasive, whether it's enlightening, and I know the um, the, the, contact, the contactee experience is is wide and varied on that front in terms of is it a negative experience, is it a positive? Um, if when when you get right down to the nature of the cover up, irrespective of what some of the contact, contactees are going through, um, in your investigation, have you ever spoken to anyone either on the record or off the record regarding? The technologies, um, and also to the, the the medical and, and military technologies that may be, or even genetic technologies that are being uh, kept secret from us. And my big concern is that there is a, a secret pathway to, a, let's say, a cure for cancer or the reasons why autism is so prevalent in our society today. Have you been given any indication uh, or have you know developed any yeah. ideas as to about these kinds of things? Well, I I know. You know, I've talked to some people that were intelligence folks, you know, um, and they've they've told me definitely about the technology exchange programs that are ha- actively happening right now. It's not reverse engineering. It's technology exchange programs happening. And um, there's also a lot of language programs that are going on to where we study basic kind of syntax and how language works so we can talk to ET you know it's a lot of times it's a, it's a um telepathic experience but not everyone in the military okay. can do that and so they, they were and not all ETs you know are only some of them uh, aren't as psychic and so i know there's a lot of work that's been done in terms of communication with language which i find very very interesting yeah and um i mean there's you know if if Ingo Swan was a, a good friend of mine, and he he told me, you know, he did a lot of work uh, remote viewing ET, and he, that was what he was. One of the things he was um, supposed to do is, is remote view ET and, and kind of give feedback about what they were up to, and and he he said also that he did see some ETs here on Earth, and um, he called what they did ET plus. I mean, he just said they were super, super psychic. And, you know, whenever he would check in, he would immediately leave. Otherwise, they would automatically know him. And then they would be able to follow him and trace him. And he didn't ever want that because he felt that that was not a good thing for him. It would leave him vulnerable. And um, the two times he did see ETs here on Earth, as soon as he recognized, he immediately turned around and left because he... 
he didn't want to have any interaction with them. They were, they're very powerful. They looked human, but they're very powerful. James, listen, we're coming up on a break, and we'll uh, continue this conversation on the other side. Filmmaker James Carmen, The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact, and the Government Cover-Up in studio. Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zealand News Network. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The old-timers, they were there and presumably involved, and they had knowledge of the Roswell incident that they were afraid to talk about because they'd been threatened by authority, and they wanted to talk about it, and they didn't want to carry their knowledge to the grave. What they said, yes, the Roswell incident was real. It was truly an alien craft. Some that had observed bodies or been a part of that said, yes, there were bodies involved. We went to the Pentagon, and eventually we had confirmed that what we were telling was true. We're back uh, with uh, James Carmen, The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact, and the Government Cover-Up. Victor Vigiani in Studio Zealand News Network here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, this is a shorter segment, so I, I, I wanted to pick up on a thread that you were uh, discussing in the uh, before the break, and that had to do with um, uh, being told by certain individuals with a background in intelligence about this technology exchange, and I really couldn't let that go by without pursuing that further. I mean, I'm trying to think back now, watching the film. Uh, I don't, I mean, were any of the people that you're talking about in the film, or was this background or off yeah, the record? Yeah, no, they, they were in the film. Okay, these were the individuals that were in the film. Okay. And and um, for those who haven't seen the film, uh, and and uh, just just give me a sense of, you know, who these people were, what, what level, uh Rank, uh, well, the department. thing is, it's like you know, a lot of people. A lot. Of, sometimes you're, you know, if you're in intelligence, you know, you're you're kind of in it for life until you leave right. uh, the military, and then sometimes even afterwards, you're still in it. And um, you know, the rank isn't always the most critical thing because sometimes they keep people at a lower rank so that one, they're easier to control, and two, if they were to say anything, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be. They wouldn't seem as credible. Right. And right. Um, yeah. So I mean, Clifford Stone is someone who's you know, he has a very very interesting story. He said that you know part of what he was doing in, at NBC, you know, is, where you're tra- to, to train to pick up nuclear waste. Back, actually, that his unit also, when there was a crash or UFO had gone down, he was. They were there to extract anything that was left of it and if there were any bodies there any beings that were alive it was his job to interface with them telepathically and he did that several times yeah, and he said he said that you know that's something that can't be trained and so the the military is looking for children that can do that and have these interactions and he's and he said that you know ever since he was a boy there was a an air force captain that kind of followed him and befriended him and bought him comics and bought him books and befriended his parents and and even so when he went into the military he failed his physical and he wasn't going to be able to get in but they they walked him in anyways and um it wasn't a problem so yeah. um, Clifford Clifford had a very very disturbing story to tell I know that um you were talking to Richard a moment ago about once you're in intelligence uh, you, you can't leave it reminds me of the the Eagles um 
uh, song, Hotel California, you can check out, right. but you can never leave. <laughs> right. I, I wanted to ask you something about the, uh, it's a little more prosaic, but I, I think there's a story behind it too. The, the military person you have on the front cover, on the dust cover of your, of the, of the, of the, uh, DVD, um, is, is half, um, sort of general looking and half. Nathan Twining. Uh, the, the alien looking. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you choose that metaphor? You know, it's the idea that, that the military is in bed with E.T. It's kind of that idea that, that there is a cooperation going on and interaction, and that's something you hear. I mean, like Lynn Buchanan, also someone who, you know, had had E.T. contact as a child. He's very psychic. He was, you know, one of the, the main remote viewers at Fort Meade. Uh, he's also an influencer. You know, he can influence people at a distance. Um, he also had, you know, met E.T. while he was in service. He was in intelligence. And so, you know, they also wanted him to work, you know, deeper along those lines. And he said that he he refused because he says the more, the deeper you work in, in black projects, the less of a life you have. And everything is controlled. The security, everything is it's, you just have no freedom. You have people looking over your shoulder all the time, and, and and it's a drag. And so he he got out of that as much as he could. But he actually did have um, three instances where he saw um, ETs on, during his um, his time as an intelligence officer. James, uh, I neglected to ask you the obvious question: Are you an experiencer? I have had some. Yes. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little? Well, I prefer not to they, they're, because it's very various. But I, I have, um, yes, I have um, seen UFOs. I've, I've also seen um, ETs. You know, that's I'm, I'm glad, Richard, that you brought that up because um, I have done several presentations in the Toronto area and what, what I do, and a number of people will sit in the back of the room and not say a word during the whole presentation, but they come up after the presentation and and either begin to sob or teary-eye or say, listen, can I talk to you about stuff in regards to being taken or, or other kinds of experiences? So there are a lot of people out there like that. Absolutely. Listen, uh, let me jump in here because, uh, as I said, a short segment. We'll take a quick time out, come back, finish up. James Carmen, filmmaker, The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact, and the Government Cover-Up. Victor Vigiani, Executive Director of Zealand News Network. My name is Richard Serrett, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. The minute I checked in with the GCI site, he told me that this is a hot mission that would be firing 24 rockets. And they said, I'd like to inform you that this object is an unidentified flying object. I got my final vector at altitude where I first picked up this huge blip, which is about the size of an aircraft carrier. I locked on immediately and I followed it up until about four seconds to go. And that's when it took off and accelerated to something like around Mach 10. And we are back with James Carmen. Last 10, 12 minutes here. Uh, the uh, documentary, The Hidden Hand, Alien Contact and the Government Cover-Up. Uh, and it's won a lot of awards uh, from uh, the, U- the UK, Australia, uh, uh, the Ionian Film Festival in, in uh, Greece. Uh, and on and on it goes. How, uh, how can people get a, a copy of this? Well, go to hiddenhandthemovie.com and... Um under buy now, you can buy it on. Um, you can buy it from me as a DVD or download it on Vimeo. You can buy it from iTunes, Google, Amazon, Hulu. It's going to come out in May. It's going to come out in Netflix. So, yeah, there's, you know, just pick your 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 choice. You can. 
Uh, we spent a lot of time on this program when Victor joins me, uh, uh, talking about the disclosure movement. And, of mm-hmm. course, Victor uh, will often go down to Washington and uh, and sit in on the... Uh, uh, well, the last, um, the last, uh, the citizen hearings, of course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the question that's always top of mind is when is disclosure coming? And is it, is this sort of, you know, coming to a head? And, and, uh, who will be the president to disclose? What, is, what is your sense in terms of the disclosure movement? How, how close are we? Will it ever come? Does it matter? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it matters. I think, um, it's a process. I think we are in the process of disclosure. It is coming out. I mean, obviously, a lot of countries, even Canada, has put out some UFO files. England, you know, uh, Brazil, Mexico, New Zealand, Denmark, UK. Um, so that there is some stuff coming out. The Cometa report with with France. Um, it seems so. It seems like it's a slow process. I think that there's a very very big in power structure that it has no concern for it coming out because they have a lot to lose in terms of um, their power, their advantage, and all, everything that they've done in terms of black project, in terms of financing their black projects, which is billions and billions and billions of dollars. Um, and so no one wants to go there and talk about all that, and no one wants to talk about any kind of possible criminal activity that's been engaged in. So I think that there is a movement towards disclosure, but just as equally, there's very, very strong elements in power that want none of it to come out. Well, if we're talking about, you know, the, the coin that Richard Dolan um, uh, coined, the, you know, a, a breakaway or a separate civilization, mm-hmm. a breakaway civilization here on Earth that is taking advantage of this alien technology for their for their own purposes. Uh, you know, they've got the money, they've got the resources, they've got their hands in the pockets of the, of the politicians. Mm-hmm. How do you, in terms of disclosure, how can we, how do we stand a chance in overcoming that, if that's what we're up against? Well, I think we do under, uh, stand a chance in, in that, one, there's, it's, it's going on. It's a, it's a dynamic process. And if there's a lot of people that are interested in looking at it and seeing that there's something to it, then that creates a movement that at some point, people can't ignore. You know, just like last May, we had the um, the former Congress people talking to you know UFO experts, and I think a lot of them were convinced and th- thought that something was going on and that it's an issue that has to be addressed. And this could even be done in a stronger fashion. But that was an, another great step forward. And um, you know, there's even in the UN, there's a little bit of um, openness there. So I think we just have to keep pushing and, and also keep researching and, and um, you know, also E.T. generally once keeps totally in the background and does not come forth with much information. But, you know, that might change and where more specific individuals have more contact and more information in that way that, that um, we could break the the hegemony in, in the, the truth embargo. And that's, that's where I want to go with you for the next moment or two, if I could, is that idea of, uh, of E.T. Or, or, or the consciousness of, of what E.T. means, of, of what that whole extraterrestrial consciousness is. Do you think that, that movement, that, that movement, I think it's being sort of um, undertaken by the, by the contactees, where uh, that, that level of consciousness is going to become so strong that no matter what the government does, no matter what the government says, no matter what this power elite says, that 
that that conscious it, consciousness is somehow going to overtake um, this whole idea of it uh, maybe not being disclosed, or that's not the right word, but being uh, prevalent or made known to all of humanity in some way that we just don't expect. Yeah, I think so, and I think it won't be kind of what what we might expect. That okay, you know, we we start seeing ET, and and you know, it becomes more prevalent that they're here. I think more it is is it's engendering a, a change of consciousness in humanity, and once that becomes stronger and stronger, it's going to be kind of become a wave that won't be controllable, and things will have to change. You know, otherwise, if if, if people don't adapt, then they'll be Relics just, be just left behind, yeah. Yeah. When when you talk to journalists, if you do, um, do you try to convince them or just sort of give them the facts? How do you deal with journalists who, who look askance at this? Well, I work for a very large uh, news organization, and um, you know I can't talk to them because most of them don't take it seriously. There's really very few. You know, they just look at me askance, and it's kind of like, okay, you can do that your stuff as long as you you do your job, but. You know, it's amazing that, you know, I've done this film and it's gotten some kind of akala and um, still no one has even asked me one question about it. And, I, you know, that's being around, uh, you know, I would say dozens of journalists. Not one of them has asked me a question or taken it seriously. Is that part of the, again, that, that co- cognitive dissonance or, as I call it, sort of self-preservation? Or is that part of, are you seeing sort of, the, the, the fingerprints of the control, the cover-up here? Well, the, you know, in, as far as I'm concerned, that is the cognitive dissonance. That's the fear. I think the cover-up, you know, that kind of Operation Mockingbird where kind of you, you do see that, you know, there is like an interaction with the Justice Department. And, you know, when, in, whenever you start interacting, then information starts flowing. And But it, it really doesn't people censor themselves it's not like like um there's the editor is saying okay you know you guys can't write about this and this it's just clear that if people do that they're not going to be promoted or they won't go higher it's bad for your career so people don't even go there if you had two minutes with somebody and let's say it's maybe it's a a colleague Mm -hmm. in, in in the journalism field and you had to put before them one piece of evidence. I mean, I go back to the the, the cover that uh, Victor alluded to. You've got um, it's uh, you know this picture of a, uh, a U.S. military figure, and and uh, it's it appears to be Nathan Twining. At least that's the the, the name on the uh, on the uniform. And of course, you know we we know about the, the Twining uh, the Twining memo, mm-hmm. uh, where he's. Uh, contacted a, a, another military colleague and they're, they're sort of going back and forth about these flying discs and the, the maneuverability and you know we don't have anything like this I mean is it a is it a document like the twining memo or is there something else a piece of footage if you had two minutes with somebody what would you show them well I think I'd show them a couple of those documents you know there's a there's a twining um, memo there's you know a CIA memo from um, you know, a science director from 1952. There's FBI memo. There's, you know, even that that when you talk about um, the UK bringing out a, their documents that there was in 1957 that they were actually attacking a UFO to shoot it down, uh, presumably because it was over one of their bases. Um, I mean, that's compelling for me. You know, if if all of our national security agencies are concerned and worry about it, then 
you go that there's 13,000 sightings in the U.S. a year. That means there's a couple every day, and not that all of them are, are you know, ET craft, but there's a lot that aren't explained. And then you t think about what's going on in the world, and then all the film footage, and then all these people that are t talking unbeknownst to each other, kind of explaining the same stories, then, I mean, I think that's pretty compelling, that something's afoot. What about someone like Neera Isley? You um, you addressed, uh, you, you, you've talked to her, and since the age of four, she's been going through something, and I know Neera. How would you interpret what she went through and, and the visceral things she's been through? This woman has been through, I just can't describe what is. Well, the thing is, this, again, she's someone who's, you know, an experiencer since she was a kid, so that's someone that they want because they want someone who has that contact, that ability to interact with ET. So they, don't, they can't train that. So they take that person and they bring them into the military, and then, then they start doing their control, their mind control, so that she won't remember actually what she's doing, but still they have access to information with ET. And um, so I think it's, it's harrowing, but I think that mind control is a big part of that. So... Um, there's no recourse back to the military in terms of them using her improperly. Mm -hmm. All right, listen, we've, um, I wish we could carry on this conversation. but uh, amazing. We've, yeah. Yeah, we've got to say goodnight. Listen, uh, James Carmen, again, congratulations on the hidden hand, alien contact, and the government cover-up. I appreciate your time tonight. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. It's, it's really been wonderful. And, Victor, always a pleasure. I'm a, I'm a big fan of both of you guys. Oh, I appreciate that. Terrific. Glad to have you with us. All okay. right. My thanks to uh, Tim Spreen for production. Back next week, of course, everyone's talking about Russell Crowe and uh, Noah's Ark. We'll talk about the real Noah next week during Easter. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite.